Welcome to Behind the Product, a podcast by SCP, where we believe it takes more than a great idea to make a great product. We've been around for over 30 years, building software that matters more. And we've set out to explore the people, practices, and philosophies to try and capture what's behind great software products. So join us on this journey of conversation with the folks that bring ideas to life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Zach Darnell. Joining me for this show, I think it's your first time, Mr. Jason Giles. Jason is one of our staff engineers and I would say cloud experts in the building. I don't know if you would accept that title, but that's what I consider you to be. Among many other things. It has been given to me unwillingly. There you go. Okay. So we just got done talking to Surya about Argonaut. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was right at the end, he had a quote-unquote unpopular belief, kind of used Kubernetes versus Heroku in his example. Like, I didn't follow exactly, I think, what he was getting at, but you seem to track with it very well. Can you kind of break that down for me a little bit? His opinion was that Heroku is overly opinionated. I think what might be hard to understand is like with a tool, like he's saying for deployments, there's kind of a a spectrum that ranges from something being highly opinionated, Mm -hmm. which means a lot of the decisions are made for you. And the way in which you deploy something on something like Heroku is that things have to be set up and configured in a very specific way in order to enable your application deployments to work Mm -hmm. on that particular platform. So Uh, you have to have a certain level of expertise in order to make that work well. It's more that your application has to fit in a very specific kind of box in order Ah, to work on their platform. I see. Whereas the other end of the spectrum is like, take something like a, you know, just a bare bones cloud hosting provider, Azure, AWS, GCP. It has a ton of bells and whistles and levers and different ways in which those platforms can be configured in order to solve a problem for Mm -hmm. you. So I think where he was getting at is that Heroku will work for a hobbyist that has a very basic thing that they're trying to solve. Your application fits very neatly into the box and it's very easy to deploy on that platform. But as an organization matures and grows and their needs change Mm -hmm. and the complexity of what they're trying to build gets a little you know, a little more complicated. It doesn't fit so Into neatly. They have new needs. Yep. They need to allow their product to grow, mature the way that it needs to. And that Heroku and other platforms can constrain that. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Now it makes sense in my head. So for anybody listening at the end of the show, I think you just provided some clarity, at least for me. So thank you. So also enjoyed just learning about Argonaut, their journey. Seems like they're fitting into a nice little niche for companies that are looking to get started that may not necessarily have all of that expertise that you and others have in the world of cloud infrastructure and DevOps. I'm oversimplifying that. And he kind of puts some puts a nice bow around that to enable teams to be able to grow and get some of their time back. Yeah, so certainly. Hopefully you'll enjoy. So thank you for joining me, Jason. I appreciate you very much. Yeah, not a problem. With that, we'll dive into the show. We thought a great place to start would be, you know, just telling us a little bit about, it's Argonaut, right? We're saying that right? Right. Okay. And your name is Surya? Perfect. Bam. Oh, man, I'm two for two today. (laughs) I'm normally like batting 50%, you know? Okay. So we thought it'd be interesting. Again, kind of just context setting for anybody listening doesn't know about Argonaut. Tell us a little bit about what it actually is. What is Argonaut as a product, as a business? And kind of maybe where you got the start, what influenced you to start the actual 
business and create a product around this? Maybe just kind of level set for us. Yeah, happy to. I'm Surya. I'm the founder of Argonaut. And Argonaut is an internal developer platform for that serves as a one place for engineering teams to manage their cloud infrastructure and their application deployments. We essentially enable engineering teams and engineers to work more efficiently by providing the right kind of primitives and providing an intuitive interface for managing all of these processes and automation. Awesome. Yeah. Not as simple as DevOps, because that's the thing that always goes through my head. I'm a business guy. I've been working in technology for a very long time. I hear DevOps and I just think, yeah, you automate stuff, but it's way more involved than that. Well, yes and no. So DevOps is essentially in many places... DevOps is actually a a sort of methodology, right? And then we also have DevOps as a role or a title, which sort of conflates the actions that need to be done within internal teams, along with, you know, what the methodology that needs to be practiced as an organization as a whole. Now, while that conflation very frequently happens, you also have slight flavors of the actual role that needs to be done which is in the form of DevOps plus platform engineering plus SRE and so on, right? Now, what we try to do is actually not try to put labels to anything. All of that is fine. We actually try to handle what is the actual problem that is being solved by this entity as a whole, right? Now, that is a fairly complex problem and it primarily deals with the building out of internal tooling and internal processes so that application engineers at the end of the day can work effectively and efficiently without having to worry about all of the downstream tooling and processes that need to come into place, right? And as Argonaut, what we do is try to figure out how we can enable that orchestration and automation without having to build out all of this tooling and infrastructure in-house. So we, we try to essentially augment or enable faster development of the software in your organization by providing the tooling required and all of that integrated into one place, which connects with the 20 different things that need to fall in place. Okay. Now I'm being a little vague here. I'd love to go into more specifics at some point. I would imagine Jason's brain is noodling a little bit on some of those. (laughs) Some of it's Greek to me. I think I understand at a high level, you know, kind of what you guys are after. It's kind of this one-stop shop for maybe the oversimplified word of DevOps as a packaged product rather than, okay, I'm going to hop into AWS or Azure or insert cloud platform. Right. And I'm going to go, you know, spin up these 10 different tools that kind of create these pipelines and this automation for me. And I'm going to manage all of it. Argonaut as a platform comes in and says, that's great. We can do all of this for you in a much more streamlined manner. Is that my understanding that at a high level? Absolutely. So there have been, you know, folks we've talked to refer to us as a DevOps in a box, right? Yeah. Oh, I like that. It's alliteration. Yeah. (laughs) But that's sort of rubs a few people the wrong way. So we sort of try not to, you know, classify ourselves as that. Uh, But the intent is very broadly similar to what you've just called out. Hold on really quick. I want to poke at that a little bit. Uh Why is that spicy? DevOps in a box. How have you found that to rub people the wrong way? I'm just curious. This actually is more of a state of things that as they currently stand, because the kind of product that we're building is traditionally and has traditionally been something that is a a fairly core part of internal software engineering teams. So infrastructure teams, platform teams, DevOps teams have always been a critical part of the entire software engineering organization. And there are very good reasons for it to have been so. 
and because of that if i just go and say hey we will do devops and here's a product that you can use for that, for solving that problem now most people and rightfully so are like hey are you kidding me because it's actually a fairly complex set of things with a lot of my organizational knowledge also that needs to go into in, into this entire set of tooling and processes and how are you even being as outrageous as to say something like that right now uh, and and there's a very good reason for that kind of a stance right which is if you look at things even 5 years ago or older there is no standardization or there is no uniformity in the way things have been happening and pretty much every organization has had to have built out this kind of tooling in a bespoke manner and something that is specific to the history of that particular organization and there, there's a lot of evolutionary history there and encoding all of that into an opinionated product is something that cannot happen things have changed in the last 5 years and that's sort of one of the tailwinds and one of the enablers on which argonaut builds on top of okay that would yeah. be one thing that i'd like to double click on is how opinionated is argonaut you Ooh. mentioned you've got organizations that have spent a lot of time building up these automated processes to be able to manage and deploy their infrastructure is moving into something like argonaut going to be a heavy lift or is it more of like a meet you where you are take your scripts that you've already been been building and just implement them through mm. the platform you've built it's actually a fairly critical part to our business as a whole as we chart our course so the application side of things and the stateless services etc that exist they are the easier part of a shift now the tricky part comes in when there is a lot of uh, data involved and where there is uh, some kind of persistence etc now in established organizations that ends up being a reasonably sized effort if let's say there are like maybe 100 engineers or more in the organization and the and the team is like a few years old etc there there's going to be a lot of uh, tooling there's a, there's going to be a bit of the way things are already done which needs to be adapted in now argonaut is compatible with the best of breed solutions etc that are used in most of these organizations so we have the capability to meet folks where they are however at this point more in terms of our go to market we have chosen a slightly different path of working with smaller teams first predominantly because they have fewer systems that need to be lifted and shifted and they are okay with getting the essential two year head start in their internal development internal tooling processes instantly without having to worry about hey like a few of the complex organizational dynamics also that come into place hey i i already have a team of like 10 people what do i do with them or you know they will need to be reskilled in some manner to because you know a bunch of the kind of tooling that they have in their roadmap is actually already built out in the product and so on so more in terms of a, a steady gtm we've gone more bottom up in terms of both our adoption and in terms of the target market there so specifically to answer your question there is a bit of a shift involved but we mostly meet people where they are including let's say they have custom uh, terraform scripts etc they have let's say some kind of argo cd configurations for their deployments on to kubernetes we can import all of those into our systems so i'm kind of curious just to rewind the tape a little bit argonauts a relatively relatively new product relatively crowded space I'm curious what is your target market why do they typically buy Argonaut over either building it themselves or the classic off the shelf versus bespoke options there and then who is typically buying and using Argonaut today kind of the client profile let me actually give you a longer answer to that 
the first and important consideration here is actually tying back to the five years ago kind of story that I was talking about as an, an enabler, which is a lot of the companies that are starting out in the last decade or so, hyperscalers, AWS, GCP, Azure, etc. as their base. And around that, they have been building tooling, etc. Now, over the last five years, there has been a proliferation of Kubernetes as an abstraction layer on top, which sort of standardizes and levels the playing ground across you know, various kind of workloads, even within a particular cloud provider, if not across them, uh, while Kubernetes technically can enable you to do both. Now, with the standardization, there has been a lot of tooling and there has been a, a huge ecosystem that has developed around this as the base now. What this enables us to do is, and this sort of kicked off a, an entire crop of new startups, Argonaut being one of them, which built on top of this enabling layer and provide the right kind of developer experiences that end users of today expect. Now, what does that mean? So if you look at the role of an internal platform team, etc., they essentially serve as a translation layer between dev speak, what the cloud building blocks are. Now, engineers, application engineers, talk about things in terms of, hey, like my dev environment or my staging environment or my prod. And then they also talk about, hey, this is my application. I need this deployed. Whereas if you look at what the cloud providers and even the Kubernetes layer on top enables, we are going to be talking about VPCs, we're going to be talking about subnets, and we're going to be talking about Kubernetes pods and deployments. Now, the latter is not the language that is natural, and it is not the most intuitive abstraction layer for an application engineer to work with. Now, if you look at the role of an internal team, it's essentially to bridge these two. Now, what Argonaut tries to do is essentially be the one tool, the one place where both of these teams can come together have complete visibility into the product and even go above and beyond this. Above and beyond in the sense, if you look at the entire, and this is sort of how we look at Argonaut uh, itself as a product, right? Which is, we have three core pieces, three core pillars around which we build. The first is around the infrastructure that includes spinning up cloud infrastructure through pre-built Terraform modules or users can bring their own, et cetera, as well. The second piece is around application deployments, applications in general, deployments, pipelines, self-hosting third-party tools like you know open source software and so on. And the third piece is what we call the lifecycle piece, lifecycle management, which includes cost visibility, integrations with observability stacks, and inventory management, and all the maintenance-related activities as, as well that come in. Now, we, Argonaut is sort of taking on the harder challenge of spreading itself across all of these because at the end of the day, that is the entirety of the role entirety of the function that needs to be served for the application developers to be very effective and efficient. Now, it, it's a harder problem to go for, but we we sort of take this broad approach because we want to ensure that there is low cognitive overload. So I'm kind of curious about hot takes because I know that engineers, you guys have opinions. A few of them. Just a few. I know Jason, Jason here has just a few opinions about things. So you've mentioned on Twitter, you know, about Kubernetes. You've mentioned Kubernetes a couple of times. It sounds like you're a fan. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. I'd assume so. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, Kubernetes is better than ECS or Cloud Run for startups. And you mentioned something called Helm Charts. Mm -hmm. I honestly don't know what a Helm Chart is. I'll be honest. I didn't Google it so that I could be genuinely curious. Why do you believe that Kubernetes is key for startups? 
And for my own sake, what is a Helm chart? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Very legit questions. The simple answer there is ceilings. Now, what ECS and CloudRun do, you know, they are container runners. You provide a container, they will run it for you. They also have the right kind of basics to, you know, scale it up, scale it down, that kind of stuff, which is great. And that actually works until it doesn't. And the point where you hit, you know, the limits of what this does, what an ECS or a CloudRun do for you as an organization is not going to be too far away. A couple of very common reasons why we see companies hit this problem are the following. One, let's say, you know, you have some kind of a niche autoscaling kind of case. Let's say, you know, you're a video, like video meeting provider. And, you know, your meetings probably start in 15 minute blocks, at which point you probably see spikes in traffic, etc. Now, to serve that kind of a need, your autoscalers will need to be very flexible. And those are not the kind of flexibility or capabilities that something like cloud run, etc. would provide for you very easily. Especially if you want to like pre-provision some kind of in, uh, instances so that you don't your users don't run into spiky traffic related issues, etc. So that is one kind of a case. Another kind of a case is the capability itself. Now, a lot of third-party tools, let's say you want to self-host a third-party tool. Now, running a container is one part of it, but typically they come with a whole bunch of other configuration requirements. Let's say it could be around how the network needs to be specified. It could be, you know, specific startup scripts, etc. that need to be run, specific migrations, all of those kind of use cases. Now, can you do this? With Cloud Run or ECS? Yes. Would you have to actually fight the product to actually get this working? A very strong yes, right? It's a tool. Now, is it the right tool for most of these use cases? Not really. And you'll you'll start hitting a lot of these use cases. Like every company runs into like one or more of these within a couple of years of their existence. And shifting away from one product where you have spent a lot of tooling and time and you've been running your workloads, to another is going to be a non-trivial migration, right? Especially when there is like data and persistence involved. So for all of these reasons, Kubernetes is a good way because it has been sort of proven to work at cloud scale, right? And the problem that startups have today is that Kubernetes is much, much harder to get started with than what a cloud run or an ECS will provide for you on day one. And that's sort of the problem that Argonaut also bridges And that is why I think, you know, given the existence of products like what we are building, it makes sense to just go for, you know, a full Kubernetes solution under the hood with the right experience layer so that you can get the benefits of getting started very quickly and the lack of limits all from day one. Yeah. Now, before we keep going on, I'm curious, you know, so we tend to work with a lot of, I'll say, like companies that were more in atoms and now becoming more in bits. You know, they're building agricultural equipment or working in aerospace. And so software is still, you know, relatively new, even though they've probably been doing it for 20 or 30 years. Something popped in my head, Jason, as you were talking, Surya, when we're working with a lot of these customers that are moving to cloud, maybe they're more of an on-prem environment or a lot of desktop software, and they're moving to be more web and mobile and cloud-based. Do you think that this would still apply in those worlds? I'm kind of curious, Jason, like if you were going to evaluate something like Argonaut for the enterprise space, and Surya, I'm curious again from the other side, like have you had much experience in the enterprise side with this tooling? 
where does this play into that? Because it sounds really like a no-brainer for a, a younger team or a younger company in a startup world, but could it also apply for an enterprise space? I don't know. I think it can. I mean, we've certainly seen examples, like you just mentioned, where mm-hmm. within these larger enterprise organizations, as they start to adopt more modern software application development techniques, they've ran those parts of their organization almost like a startup. It's mm-hmm. like a miniature yeah. startup within yep. a larger yeah. company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like an innovation group or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it typically is free of some of the corporate red tape. They can move a little bit faster. They're empowered to make purchases on procurement cards and mm-hmm. you know they don't have to go through long protracted procurement processes like we've seen yeah. uh, in some of these organizations. And so I, I think it could apply. I would say some of the reasons we haven't seen it work has been as they move into these spaces and they work with companies like ours and, and partner to help them build out their software is they get a little bit nervous when it's like, okay, now we're paying a cloud, uh, an AWS bill or an Azure bill, and now we need to pay five, six, seven other bills. And it's a little mm. bit nerve wracking. And, and so I think one thing that we have seen is that there is kind of this like, that first dip in the water is a little bit like they want things to be simplified. Sure. They want to have one bill. One bill. Oh, interesting. Um, So I I think there probably is a little tension there. Okay. But I certainly think that's something like, depends on the organization and how quickly they're wanting to move and how comfortable Mm -hmm. they are with the space and understanding how it's more than just building an application and hosting it in an environment. There's a whole set of tools that goes around building software. Right. And I think it's incumbent upon us to educate them on what it takes to mm. build high quality software and the tools that you need to enable that process. Yeah. Uh, so using something like an Argonaut could be certainly be something that you could pitch yeah, even to could be a, a, simple, a smaller group yeah. within a larger organization. Interesting. Have you seen or heard much of that feedback, Surya, if, as you guys try to work up market? We've sort of stayed away from the enterprise space uh, with respect to this product. But, you know, from customer discovery, et cetera, and the broader understanding of the space in general as well, what ends up happening Exactly to Jason's point, folks want a a single solution that sort of works. And that needs to account for not just the technical side of things, but also the entire set of processes and the compliance environment that the organization has. That includes, you know, SOC 2 in the medical space, the HIPAA compliance, ISO 27K, all of these different kinds of things, right? And they need vendors to have standardized legal agreements, standardized payment mechanisms, etc. One of the things that AWS does reasonably well is their entire AWS marketplace where essentially all your bills get rolled up into the AWS bill. So, uh, you know, it, it gives the it gives the illusion of it being just like one provider that, you're, uh, that, that your finance team has to work with and everyone else is just rolled up as like one line item into it. So all of these kind of things are, you know, hacks to work around the red tape required there. But in fact, I would actually argue that those are the harder problems to solve rather than the, in some way, solved problems, which are on the technical side, especially when we move to, like, when we see larger organizations, et cetera, adopt these new technologies. So I think what Jason was talking about is spot on. That's fair. You know, another thing that I'm kind of curious, when we talk about the impact of, again, I'm oversimplifying and air quoting for anybody just listening to this, DevOps as a way of like, it's a team enablement practice. It's It allows us to go faster. It allows us to embed testing and quality and deployments and blah, 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 all, lots of things. I feel like that is still sometimes hard to prove, maybe is the right way to think about that. Like, I feel like we often hear with our clients like, yeah, that all sounds great, but 
Like, do we really get the benefit from that? Um, so I'm curious, like, as you guys have had some conversations with the customers that have actually used Argonaut, how are you guys accomplishing that mission of enabling teams to take time back from just managing the infrastructure and actually doing things that are value added in the product? There are a couple of different things that come to mind when we are talking about this problem. The first is sort of expounding on your point itself, which is this is a team and this is a place which has always had it rough because it's an enabling team for software engineering as a function in general, more broadly. And this ends up always getting the short end of the stick because it is not a money-making function. It requires very specialized knowledge of like a whole array of tools and a continuously changing landscape. And there's a continuous maintenance mode to it, which is rather underappreciated when it comes to this kind of tooling. Now, this always means that the internal teams are very strongly underfunded and they have very high requirements to essentially make the rest of the application engineering team, which is the user-facing or money-making side of things, more efficient. So there is this very strong problem that comes in. And that's sort of actually uh, been helpful for us as Argonaut because this is a product that we very broadly can pitch to pretty much everyone. We build it once and make it available to everyone else, right? So we have a little bit of a benefit of scale here where we can put in all the bells and whistles on the user experience and provide the right kind of primitives and automation and all of that kind of stuff. Whereas our users essentially do not need to invest as much in building tooling that just makes other things work. And that has been actually a pretty good sell for us in the sense when we talk to customers who are essentially looking for hiring, let's say that first couple of infrastructure or DevOps engineers, and we reach out to them and we talk to them, they start using Argonaut instead of building out, uh, like hiring someone and building out the entire set of tooling in-house over the next couple of years, they can get started with a mature product from day one and you know essentially have someone administer it as opposed to having to build out all of the capabilities within the product itself. So that's been fairly beneficial. And we've had customers who have onboarded with Argonaut and have grown like 10x in their engineering team size, etc. And not have to worry about building out any of this internal tooling. They just use Argonaut for everything. So we've had a little bit of good success there in terms of how we deal with such organizations. Now, again, to the other point, we sort of handle this through the go-to-market approach as well in terms of tackling teams which have relatively nascent practices so that they can easily onboard. There's not too much disruption to how their teams are structured internally, etc. And they get a huge leap ahead in their infrastructure process. That makes sense. Jason, I saw you kind of nodding along as far as like feeling the pain sometimes of some of the cloud infrastructure work being maybe underfunded, underappreciated. That yeah. resonated with you? Yeah, definitely. I, I think this is a thing, again, you spoke to, like, sometimes we're dealing with organizations where they're new to software. And if you're focusing any time on the parts of the process that aren't producing yeah, they're not the directly making money yeah. that goes into production, yeah, yeah. it's viewed as a lower value activity. So it's always given second billing. Classic example, like, you know, every engineer talks about all the tech debt that they'd love to go solve and never get a chance to solve it. Like DevOps type activities are almost like one rung below that, where it's like, you know, oh, well, it's like we understand tech debt and we can kind of get on our heads wrapped around that. But 
what do you mean we need to go update some automation script that you know moves data from one system to another one like it's working now i just copy an excel file and drop it into an email um <laughs> right <laughs> like it, yeah. and so sometimes it's hard to see the value that can be gained from putting something in place that takes a little bit of that organizational friction mm-hmm. that exists within your systems and start to pull that out and help to get things to move more quickly, allow decisions to be made more easily. Right. Um, Maybe reducing risk in other in certain areas of the business. I mean, yeah. I feel like a lot of executives tend to think in risk. That's usually a common language there. So sometimes, yeah, yeah, I could see that. The good thing about this though, so one of the problems was that you know, tech debt is relatively more talked about and sort of better understood. This is something that, like Jason was saying, talking about maintenance of, you know, cloud infrastructure or, you know, tackling the bit rot that happens on this side of things is not as commonly talked about in my opinion. But there is a little bit of movement, especially in terms of visibility at the executive level, in terms of like the whole, you know, Dora metrics, so on, where, you know, you have specific metrics that represent the health of your infrastructure and your engineering organization in some sense. And that as an objective can help trickle down and, you know, align a little more of an interest into investment in infrastructure. It sort of helps. But again, as an industry, I think we're we're still not too far along in terms of making this a more standard thing to think about. I just remembered that there was this question about helm charts that you're that you're oh, asking. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm still curious. What's a helm chart? Yeah. So Helm is you can think about Helm as package manager, but for the Kubernetes world. Oh, okay. So it's a bundle of your application configuration, the image that you want to be running, let's say some environment variables, et cetera, that can be configured, the networking related practices, things around auto scaling, things around any other dependencies, et cetera, that might exist. All of them bundled into one. Okay. So a Helm chart is essentially that. Now, th- this is super beneficial to the entire Kubernetes ecosystem because pretty much every tool out there, pretty much every product that you will end up having to run on your cloud infrastructure, which is a third-party tool, puts out a Helm chart for the sake of easy distribution. Now, what that means is it's it's literally just one command to spin up something like an entire WordPress site in on your infrastructure. Just one command to spin up an entire database, which potentially can be like multiple replicas, et cetera, on your infrastructure. So it's a very powerful kind of packaging system, but it's also simple in terms of how you can configure it, manage it, et cetera. So this, in my opinion, is one of the reasons why, again, the Kubernetes ecosystem wins hands down against something like an ECS or a cloud run because of the hundreds and thousands of products that you can just set up and manage very trivially on your infra. Okay, so I'm going to continue the thread of strong opinions. (laughs) So I was recently introduced to the subreddit unpopular beliefs or unpopular thoughts. I don't know, maybe both exist. I'm not really sure. So I'm curious, do you have an unpopular belief about something that might go against the grain? So the context, if you were to throw this up on Twitter or, you know, insert social media platform, you might get some pushback. You might get a little heat from your fellow engineers or product developers in the world. <laughs> Do you have something that sticks out in your mind that kind of fits into that category? Oh, lots. Uh, oh, man. Ooh, <laughs> nice. Uh, well, there's definitely going to be a, a bit of engagement, at least for uh, such posts. <laughs> One of the unpopular thoughts that I have is that Versal, Heroku, etc. 
are primarily for hobbyists. There's a large dev community which very strongly believes that that is the future. Well, it's still the jury is out on that one, but I think as it stands today, there is no seriously scaling company which puts all of its deployments etc into something other than an AWS GCP or an Azure kind of a hyperscaler. There is an uptick in all of these other platforms that are coming up, but I think all of them are dialing too far on the developer experience side, which comes at a very severe cost to flexibility and imposes harsh limitations on what an organization will need as their requirements, as their internal infrastructure complexity increases. So your opinion is they're too opinionated. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they're too opinionated. And I think they provide an amazing developer experience, but I think the costs are too high. I mean, that's a good point. It's not cheap as far as time and just sheer dollars. I mean, those bills can get up there pretty darn quick. Yeah, I don't disagree with your opinion as I have worked on a project that started out on Heroku and one of my my first responsibilities was to take everything and move it from Heroku to AWS. That's actually a pretty good thing for us though, because as Argonaut, a bunch of our customers are the folks who are moving away from something like a Heroku onto an AWS or a GCP and Argonaut really helps because they don't want to worry about the cloud-specific building blocks. They do not want to worry about all of these individual pieces and folks can very easily just migrate saying, hey, we, we provide similar in, similar primitives, right? Connect your version control and select your deployment target, couple of clicks to create your infrastructure. And, you know, it continuously runs. You push your code to your GitHub repository and it automatically builds and runs and scales, etc. I realized that Heroku doesn't necessarily consider containers its primitive, but the way in which it works under the covers, you're so close to containers as it is. It doesn't take much to like throw a Docker file together, put it in your repository, and then move over to something like Arcanaut. Absolutely. And Heroku pioneered this concept of build packs, which essentially creates your Docker file for you and builds an image for you. And that's a public thing. And Argonaut supports that as well. So if you actually just want to not write a Docker file, it works for basic applications. If your application gets reasonably complex, etc., you'd probably be better off writing your own Docker file. But build packs work just as well. So, you know, if you're coming from the Heroku world and something works, it should be very straightforward. That's actually really neat that you support the build packs directly. So you really mean it that you don't think people should be using Heroku. (laughs) (laughs) It ends up being cheaper also beyond like zero scale. I don't have a dog in the fight, I'll be honest. But I really appreciate it so much, Surya. I'm sure we could probably talk a lot about more unpopular beliefs. Maybe we'll just do a whole show as a follow-up about unpopular beliefs you might have. Just do a show of all deep cuts. That'll be great. We'll do a follow-up. I'll make it a point to note down all my shower thoughts. There we go. (laughs) Yeah, because we all have hills that we're willing to die on, right? (laughs) I think. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us and telling us a little bit, Argonaut. I I think this sounds like a you know a needed tool in our ecosystem, especially as especially more and more companies and innovation groups within large enterprise start to spin up and find new opportunities for innovation. So it allows teams and companies to get up to speed quicker and manage their costs better. It sounds like a win-win. So I love the product, love the idea. Thanks for sharing uh, your experience and kind of where you're headed with us. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And it was a pleasure talking to both of you. Thanks. Thanks, sir.